Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Welcome to you here again this morning, those of you that are with us and those of you that are joining us. Again, welcome from me this morning as well. We're always excited that you're here. Just want to say thanks to the worship team, to Barry and Neil and, and the, all the team that uh, come together and give us the worship every week. I just appreciate them and their dedication and, and um, um, singing today of God's promises uh, remaining and, and uh, that our, our future is secure, just like Barry was talking about, is just exactly where we're going this morning as we look at Hebrews chapter 4. I also want to say thanks to the, to the tech guys um, for all of their hard work in, in getting um, the song lyrics online and, and so on and so forth. That's not just a simple process. Um, and so there's uh, some time and energy that's gone into that. So thank you to all of you guys as well. More and more, I am can go along and, and go down or what have you. And so don't uh, and rest still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen. Also have had the good not share the faith of those who obeyed. All right. So once again, just as we've mentioned before, the author is continuing on that the author was referring to, to a Psalm 95. And so he was, had Psalm 95 in mind as he was looking at that, but he was then also interpreting it through the lens of Numbers chapter 14, which then gave it the, um, uh, the, conveyed the idea of a warning. It came across to us as a warning. This morning, though, he's got Psalm 95 still in view but he's now looking at it and interpreting it through the lens of Genesis chapter 2. So Psalm 95 is still central, but he's now modifying it and starting to look at it and interpret Psalm 95 along with the lens of Genesis chapter 2. So keep that in mind. Really simply put, as we come to chapter 4 this morning, what, we, what we're seeing happen is that the author is pivoting our attention from the unbelief of the children of Israel who had come out of Egypt and then weren't allowed to go into the promised land. He's pivoting our attention from that now to the fact of that God's promise uh, and potential, his potential of heaven ahead still stands. Just like we've been singing. So that becomes the focus going forward. Of note then, just keep this in mind as we think of verses 1 and 2. The promise to us as just, uh, just like it was to them back then. Just like it was to the children of Israel, as they were being led out of captivity and the promise of moving into the promised land, God's rest existed for them and was proclaimed to them. It exists for us today as well. But in order for that promise to be realized, the author points out, in order for us to gain God's rest, in order for us to one day enter heaven then, if you will, we have to exercise faith. 
It's dependent on that. Now, we see as we go back and we look at the story of the children of Israel, they dropped the ball in this, didn't they? They dropped the ball on the faith component. They were fine with God getting them out of captivity. They were all in. As God said, I'm going to lead you out of captivity. As Moses came to lead them out, that's awesome. We're all in on that level. But as soon as they were out of Egypt, then they abandoned their faith. They dropped the ball there and started to doubt what God had. They started to to deviate and, and detour off onto their own agendas. They were worried about their own concerns and so on. They lost sight of what was still ahead. And they didn't exercise faith. This morning, we look back at the children of Israel, I think, so often, and we think to ourselves, like, what was up with that? What, why? they just come out of captivity. How could they have missed that God was there? How he was leading them? And we shake our heads. This morning I would submit, don't we do the exact same thing in our own ways today? And unfortunately, in in so many respects, that hasn't changed. We're really not that much different. As as we come to God with our problems, we're, we're all in. God, can you get me out of my issue? Can you resolve this problem that I've got, this difficulty that I'm going through? And as soon as then we're through that, then well, thanks God, and and I'm back on to my own agenda, and I'm going my own way. No, Lord, I come to you when I have a financial problem. I need your help. But then as that disappears, as that's resolved, well, then I'm good to go, and I'm off on my own. Lord, I come to you. I need your help with a relationship problem. I'm going through a challenge in my marriage. I'm going through a challenge with my kids. What have you? I need your help. And then, as that's remedied or rectified, or as I find out my way through it somehow, well, then I'm back onto my own course, my own plans. Lord, I've got a health problem. I'm up against it. The doctor gave me some really bad news. Lord, I need you now. But as soon as it's over, then I'm off and running on my own again. As the author is pointing us here to the fact that God's rest still exists, he's pointing us to the fact that wherever we are in life right now, there's more ahead. There's more ahead for us. And so therefore then we need to stay the course with God today. Wherever you are. In the good times, in the bad times. Whatever your circumstances, there's more ahead with God. So don't give up now. Stay the course. Stick to your faith. Now, as we think about this too, there's another thing that I think is pertinent to talk about right at this juncture because this gives us this opportunity this morning. So oftentimes today, I think we've gone and adopted the idea, we've come to the point where we think that our faith is a prayer that we pray. 
Lord, come into my heart. And then we think we've got faith. And this morning, this morning I would submit that that's, that's not a good concept. As a matter of fact, I would say it's an incorrect concept of what faith is all about. That might be how we initiate our faith in some cases, not everyone even at that. Our faith is not just saying a prayer. Our faith is when we come to believe and then we persistently pursue our beliefs for the rest of our lives, going forward in life from that point onward. That prayer does not constitute our faith. Our faith is constituted by our persistence in following God and living by his principles and obeying him as he guides and directs us in our lives. And so therefore then, the author says to us this morning, rather than rejecting this message like the children of Israel did, don't don't do that. Be diligent this morning. Press on and obey. Hold fast to your faith. Which brings us then to verses 3 to 7. Now, we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had, good, had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their, unbel- or because of their disobedience, God, set, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts. Okay, now as we come to these verses, I think that we need to be paying attention here, right? Because the author is making a point that I think that we often miss. Because this is, it's tough. This is a kind of a, an awkward passage. And I think what we do is we come and we try and interpret it Literally, we try and take a look at the words and process by the words themselves at face value. But there's something going on behind that if we, if we get it figured out in verses 3, 4, 5, well then 6 and 7 then fall into place and then the rest of the passage makes a whole lot more sense. So let's go back and take a look at it just a little bit more closely. Verse 3. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on my oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. In other words then, the ones who believe will enter God's rest, just as the ones that don't believe will not enter His rest. 
All right? Now, as we see this word enter here, we need to understand how to interpret that. In the original language, if you will, there's this, this sense of already and not yet. And for sure, there's a sense of that it is future-orientated. As in, we are sure of entering. And so, it's looking forward. To some extent, already, but looking forward. Kind of like, you know, as we're saved. The, the already, not yet. Absolutely, when we've been saved by Christ's resurrection, death and resurrection, He's accomplished our salvation in full. But we're still working that out, aren't we? Till the point where we're finally completely redeemed and with God in heaven one day. So it's already and not yet. And here again we see sort of that, that picture, that posture. That we've entered, but not completely as yet. But that we're sure of entering. So we want to have that that motion, that movement in mind as we're listening to these verses and as we're reading them, as we're trying to understand them. So with this idea then that we're moving forward to entering God's rest, then the, the, the author then pivots on the second part of verse 3. And he says, And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. Which is to say... Well, his, his rest has been done since the creation of the world. Like, I mean, his, he's been resting since then. His work's been done since then. And so then he carries on. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Just note here for some, something really quickly. You'll, you'll notice that the author of Hebrews rarely, if ever, points to the, to the writer of Scripture. And in so doing, he's making this uh, just a very subtle point that God is the author of Scripture. It's not just David that's writing this. It's not just Moses that was writing this. But God's writing this. So he doesn't refer to who's talking about this. He doesn't always point us specifically to the passages and the person that wrote them. Sometimes he does, and he does actually a little bit later here even in this passage. But as he's sort of a little bit ambiguous about that, he's not trying to be ambiguous. He's not, it's not that he's forgotten about, well, somewhere it said this. No, he's just pointing out the fact that God is behind it all. Okay? So, and again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest, which is again this referral back to then Psalm 95. So he's got Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 in mind, at the same time as he's thinking and overlaying that with Psalm 95. Alright? So let's take a look at that. As he draws our attention then to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, he, it's, that passage says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So we remember this, right? This is back, we're talking about the creation of the world. This is the very beginning, Genesis. So God has just finished the first six days of creation, and the, uh, the, the whole, everything, heavens and earth, it was all completed in their vast array. Everything was done. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. Okay. As the author is referring us back then to Genesis chapter 2, from this, then, we're to understand 
that God's rest existed, has existed since the seventh day of creation. Okay? So a couple of things on this. Number one, it preceded then the children of Israel being led to the promised land. So God's rest has, has existed since long before he was ever leading them to the promised land. So he doesn't want them confused as the, his audience as he's writing, confused with the fact that he's talking about the promised land. He's not talking about the promised land here. He's not talking about where God was leading them as they came out of captivity. This existed, God's rest has existed long before that. While we're here, note a couple of other things. Just about this passage in Genesis chapter 2. As it refers here to God resting, that carries with it a component of eschatology, okay? Which is, you know, the, the, the things that pertain to the end or the final times, the afterlife. That's eschatology. So Genesis 2, 2 has this component of eschatology, which means way out now into the future, the end of times. Therefore, what we're to understand from this is that the, the seventh day then, if you will, marks the completion of creation and by implication as well then, the completion of God's purpose for creation. The completion of His purpose in creation. That that's been settled. That's been done deal. That's been accomplished. In other words then, don't miss this. The redemption of God's people and His community with them together in a state of rest has been accomplished since creation. Okay? Which is to say, in, in another way then, don't ever think for a moment that God is making this up as we go. That from the very beginning, He has had a plan. That He's known exactly where He's going and He knows exactly how He's going to get there. He's known all about you and He's known all about me. And this message that he's talking to us about, that he's conveying to us today through the writer of Hebrews, he knows that you are going to be sitting here today listening to this. He knew that you were going to be online listening to this today. All of this is in his mind from the very beginning of time. And that there's nothing left to chance. Like Barry was saying, we can be sure of what God has to say because it's already done. It's been accomplished since the beginning of time, since the very outset of time. And in having accomplished it at that time, then God has entered His rest now because it's completed, it's fulfilled. There's no chance of this going off the rails. There's no chance of this somehow being diverted. It's a sure thing. So we have to keep that in mind. Now, also, a couple other things while we're still at it. As if that isn't enough, that's a complete mind blow from, for me. 
that God has had this in mind and accomplished since the seventh day of creation. Wild. But moreover, you'll note that as we go back to Genesis and you, as you go through the creation account, that in days 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, there was morning and there was evening. Evening and morning, the seventh day, the, or the, the first day, the third, second day, the third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. But as we come to the seventh day, there is no mention of an evening or a morning. So the seventh day hangs indefinitely without a beginning or an end. It's not defined by time. Interestingly enough. And a third thing here on this note too. As we look at creation and as the author of Hebrews points us to this passage. Note too that God did something different on the seventh day. He made it holy. Which is the first thing in creation that has the distinctive of being made holy. We come to the seventh day of creation so often and, and we think that just, well then, you know, God just hung up his hammer, done, and kicked back and relaxed. And it, it's not that at all. It's telling us that it's done. It's completed. It's finished. And now what's left is for you and I to decide if we're going to have faith to push through to everything that God has in mind for us ahead. So from this then, the author tells us that God's rest was initiated long before the promised land, but he goes on. Not only that. Again, he points us back to Psalm 95 which is a psalm of David. And as we know again, David's time was long after Moses leading the children out of captivity into the promised land. So here now we see two things. God's rest existed before the promised land. And David is now talking about it in terms of a head, still after the promised land, which is to say, don't get this confused with the promised land. God's rest is not all about the promised land. It's about heaven ahead. So therefore then, the writer of Hebrews is saying to his audience then and you and I today, God's promise of rest is still in play for you and I today as we have faith. As we decide to exercise faith in Him, then we still have the hope of heaven ahead. So don't harden your heart. So don't allow your heart to drift. Don't allow it to become calloused. Don't allow unbelief to start and reign in your world because you'll miss out on the rest that God has in store for us ahead. In store for those that persevere in their faith, that persist in their faith. Which brings us then to verses 8 to 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, 
God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So once more, the author drives home his point that the promised land was not the final resting place, that heaven still lies ahead. And therefore then, if that's the case, we can be sure that Joshua didn't accomplish the task of ushering God's people into God's rest. Because if he had, then why would have David been talking about it so much later? So God wants us to be very clear about this, not confused at all. Heaven is still ahead. It's not a past point that we missed. Which then means that we have to be diligent. We have to be diligent with such a great prize still ahead of us and still hanging in the balance, if you will, by virtue of how we respond then to Jesus Christ, then we need to be diligent about this this morning. It wasn't just the author's audience then that struggles with this. We do as well. We claim our faith but live our lives. We need to be diligent in living our lives according to our faith. Those things have to merge. They have to come together for you and I today. And we can't just leave that to chance. We can't be haphazard about it. We need to be diligent. Which then precipitates where the author goes next in verses 12 to 13. So listen to these now. With that in mind, his call for us to be diligent. Listen now, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. All right? The author here starts to unpack for us what it means to be diligent about pursuing our faith, that we can't be haphazard. Because everything that he says here, we can't afford to be nonchalant about this because God isn't nonchalant about it. What, what the author is revealing to us, what he's underlining for us this morning, is that the revelatory nature of God's word the fact that it reveals, God's word reveals God to us, 
is not just a one-way street. The revelatory nature of God's Word doesn't just reveal God to us, but it also reveals us before God. God's Word reveals us before God. Always remember and don't ever forget. God's Word is alive and active. Alive, which is to say, living. It is dynamic. It is not inanimate. Our words are inanimate. We just talk. But God's words do. God's Word is alive. What's more, it is active. Which is to say that it accomplishes, it accomplishes the purposes for which He speaks it. The purposes for which it is uttered. Isaiah 55 Verses 10 and 11 expand on this. There it says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seeds for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out of my mouth, says God. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's Word this morning cuts and probes to the very core of our being, revealing then right down to our unconscious thoughts and motives. As E.K. Simpson, the commentator, explains, God's Word is, quote, discriminative of the heart's thoughts and intents. God's Word distinguishes our thoughts and our intents right down to that level. There's a, the idea here of sifting. That whatever we try and dress up our, our actions as, whatever we try and interpret our words to be or manipulate our words to be, that God sifts through that right down to our real purposes and intents where we're really at. And that leads then the author, leads the author to give us this conclusion, that there is nothing hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare, simply meaning that we are totally exposed before God. You and I, we try to hide, don't we? We try and hide who we are. We try and cover up our problems, our less than flattering characteristics. We try and exaggerate our good characteristics and traits. We try and pretend to be people that we aren't really. We try and deceive, we even seek to deceive, if you will, those around us into thinking that we're better than we are. 
We rationalize even to ourselves. And you know what we do when we rationalize? Somebody smarter than me pointed this out. As we rationalize, we just tell ourselves rational lies about ourselves even. And what's more, we even drink our own Kool-Aid. And we come to that point where we start to believe that what we think is true, what we say is true about ourselves. Nobody else is buying it. We are. Even when nobody else is buying it, I am. Thinking that I'm better than I am. But here, the author points out that God sees through all of that smoke screen to who we really are inside. We aren't and we can't pull the wool over God's eyes today. His word sifts that out and reveals us to him in our truest form. He knows. Bottom line, he knows. And at this point then, if we're honest, I think we all recognize that now I've got a problem. Right? Because as we look at our lives, we know that we're not that good. We know when we're shading it in our favor. We know that if people could really see inside, that what they would find is much different than what we're trying to present. Right? We're messed up. Which is to say we've got a problem. We know it. And even more so, God knows it. So as we come then to these last verses, if you hear a warning from the author in them this morning, then that's awesome. That's, that's probably wise. Don't shrug that off. Don't ignore it. There is a warning here of sorts. But even more. Even more. Sometimes I think we get to this passage and we hear the warning and again we go away. We turn away at that point thinking God's big, bad, mean and ugly. And that's not actually where the author is leaving us at all this morning. So hear the warning. Take to heed the warning. Absolutely. But recognize this. The author is laying out for us now just the facts. He's just bringing to our attention the facts. He wants us to be honest and real with ourselves at this point. That we're not sufficient in, our, in and of ourselves to live up to what God is calling us to in our faith. That we're not sufficient in, our, in and of ourselves to be accepted by God. 
but that we need help. We need help today. You and I need help today because we're not good enough. And that is exactly then where the author is now headed as he turns in the last part of chapter 4 and goes into chapter 5. He's pointing us to this great high priest that we have in Jesus Christ who came to help us because we're not sufficient to do it on our own. Here he's turning a corner. There's a warning, but he's reminding us of the promise that lies ahead. That heaven still exists for us as we pay attention to God, as we come, become obedient to Him, and as He leads us into that promise through our great high priest in Jesus Christ. So don't go away this morning being discouraged. Go away this morning being encouraged, knowing that we're not left in our helplessness, but that God has sent His Son to accomplish for us what we can't on our own. And Pastor Bruce is going to come and unpack that for us next week. So be here for that. Don't miss out on that. It's going to be awesome. Let's pray. Father, this morning again, God, thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you that it reveals yourself to us. But again, God, thank you for the reminder that it also reveals us to you. And so this morning, Lord, as we understand this, as we unpack this, as we see the author of Hebrews pointing us to the fact that your rest still exists for us today. We've entered it to a certain extent, but there's much more, so much more. The lion's share lies still ahead. Help us now to be diligent about our faith. Lord, that we would bear down and that we would buckle up and that we would follow hard after you. And we pray these things now, all by way of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in his name, amen. Oh, again, I hope that you're enjoying this series, man. I, I find it so crazy encouraging. Um, thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us online. We appreciate that so much. Like I say, don't miss out on next week. You get a chance to see Pastor Bruce, uh, get to know him a little bit, but also this great passage that's coming up, this chapter uh, a little bit more than a chapter, all on the high priest, and, and oh, it's, uh, it's going to be awesome. So don't miss out on that.